0: everybody. Welcome once again to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, sitting in for Jason Davis today as he's on vacation uh, through Monday. I'll be here again on Monday, and I was, of course, here yesterday. And by sheer coincidence, it is a remarkable time to be part of the Philadelphia soccer community. The, the U.S. Open Cup on Wednesday night. And uh, yesterday, Kevin Kincaid of CBS uh, was on the show here. Uh To break it down to look at the ramifications for the union, and then last night, Kevin broke the news that a lot of union fans and plenty of other folks have been waiting to hear for a long time. Nick Sakevich uh, was he reported uh, relinqu- to be relinquished of his du- leave, I should say, to be relieved of his duties as CEO of the Philadelphia Union. Uh, Later in the evening, Sikhevich confirmed to my colleague from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Mark Narducci, and also Jeff Carlisle of ESPN, that apparently he is out of the organization entirely. Sikhevich also, uh, in addition to being the CEO, held an equity stake in the team, as I've reported before. Uh, It was about 50 percent of the Class B shares in the organization. That was from an affidavit that Sikhevich swore as part of the Peter Novak lawsuit. Um, Sakevich, with the following statement uh, to my colleague, as I said, Mark Narducci, also to Jeff Carlisle of ESPN. I enjoyed my time at the Philadelphia Union and I'm proud of the team and organization and stadium we built. I wish the Union, Jay Sugarman and the entire organization the best of luck and continued success. This morning at about nine o'clock Eastern time, so about an hour ago, um, The entire Philadelphia Union organization got together for an all-staff meeting led by the team's principal owner, Jay Sugarman. Uh, A few moments ago, Chris Winkler, the head of PR for the organization, uh, tweeted, We will have a statement shortly. I appreciate everyone's patience. And let me take a moment now uh, to note that Chris is one of the classiest guys in the union organization uh, and I heard from many of his current and former colleagues, including a lot of people who held his role over the years um, in the PR department. were very, very happy that Nick Sikiewicz, a guy who uh, took a very heavy-handed role in the team's messaging and PR, uh, is gone and that uh, they don't have to deal with him, sounds like, anymore couple of big games last night. The National Women's Soccer League title game in Portland, Oregon. FC Kansas City won. Seattle Reign nothing. Amy Rodriguez with the game-winning goal in the 78th minute. A header off a really nice cross from Heather O'Reilly. And the play was started by Lauren Holiday, who goes out a champion. She retires. Now her final game uh, is in the books. She has an NWSL winner's medal. Her second in a row. It's back-to-back titles for Kansas City. Lauren Holiday out in the calendar year with an NWSL medal and, of course, a World Cup winner's medal as well. 13,264 fans at Providence Park in Portland. It looked like it was a great atmosphere. Certainly a lot of the Portland folks were rooting for Kansas City against their arch-rival Seattle. Um, Of course, I watched to see whether Jeff Plush, the commissioner, would make any news during his halftime interview with Julie Stewart Binks of Fox Sports. He did not. I wondered in particular whether he would mention expansion since uh, we know that, the, un- that uh, the NWSL appears on track to expand to Orlando next year. That news was broken a couple of days ago by Caitlin Murray of The Guardian. And I will note, Caitlin probably doesn't want me to do this, but uh, Caitlin broke her foot a couple days ago. And so she couldn't attend the game last night. And all of us uh, in the in the soccer media, Caitlin, are pulling for you to have a speedy and full recovery if you're out there listening. In Kansas City, which uh, titles on consecutive days for sporting and for FCKC. What a time to be a soccer fan in the heartland. And then last night at Sporting Park, uh, the U.S. men's under-23 team with a pretty comprehensive 3-1 win over Canada. Jordan Morris scoring after just 34 seconds. A great build-up, fast, precise, some real bite in it. Jerome Kiesvetter with the assist, he came down the right wing, played the cross for Morris to head home as the Canadian uh, defense was all out of sorts. Uh, In the 72nd minute, Morris scored again a great breakaway goal, set up with a steal and a wonderful ball over the top of Canada's back line by Will Trapp of the Columbus crew. And then in stoppage time, uh, a penalty kick for the United States, Luis Gill, to make uh, for the third goal, Canada got one after the U.S. got its second. The final score was 3-1. to one. In the Europa League yesterday, there were 24 games, which is... I, I cannot, obviously, read all the results. I will read the quick ones. Um, Liverpool won, Sion of Switzerland won. We are back to panicking about English clubs in Europe, aren't we? Monaco won, Spurs won. Eric Lamella in the 35th. Steven El-Sharuay, the former AC Milan rising star in the 81st. Lazio 3, Saint-Etienne 2. Besiktas 1, Sporting Club de Portugal. You formerly knew them as Sporting Lisbon. Uh, that was a 1-1 draw. Azed Alkmaar 2-1, winners over Athletic Bilbao at home. Celtic, not winners, against Fenerbahce. That was a 2-2 draw. Mulda holding Ajax to a 1-1 draw. Uh, PAOK Salonica holding Borussia Dortmund to a 1-1 draw. And Marseille losing at home to Slovan Liberec of the Czech Republic, 1-0. Marseille going to Paris Saint-Germain this coming weekend, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Last bit of news before we get to our guests, and I will later on in the morning take a minute to look through all of the big games that are coming up today and tomorrow and Sunday. But a last bit of news we learned yesterday afternoon, of the television viewership for the U.S. Open Cup Final. It was the first time since 1999 that it was on an ESPN network. I know it took a lot of last-minute hustle and negotiation to get it there, um, which is part of why uh, the game was called off monitors in Bristol and not on site. But 333,000 viewers for the game on ESPN2, a further 48,000 on Univision Deportes, making for a total of 381,000 total viewers. That is a very respectable number by U.S. Open St- Cup standards, I, certainly by MLS standards. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Let me start that over since I had a frog in my throat for a minute. 381,000 total viewers is a very respectable number for any game involving MLS teams, and uh, I, I think it does justify the decision to put the final on Um, a lot of people ask me what about the semifinals and earlier rounds in the earlier rounds especially the round where uh, the MLS teams come in and some of them go to USL and NASL teams I know that most of the stadiums in the USL and the NASL have the infrastructure and capacity to take a television broadcast but you'd want sort of a whip around show and I'm not sure That the demand is there for that yet. We're certainly getting closer. The semifinals more likely. But one thing I would say about the viewership for the final. The average American sports fan that might be drawn in. And I know there wasn't a lot of advanced marketing of the game and so forth. But the average American soccer sports fan that might be drawn in wants to watch a championship game. And so they tuned in for a championship game. I don't know if they would to quite the same degree for the semifinals. All right, it's time to take our first break of the morning and come back in a moment with Meg Lenahan live from Portland to look back at the NWSL title game. Later in the show, we'll have Matt DeGeorge of the Delaware County Times to talk about Nick Sakevich's departure from the Philadelphia Union, and we will have Ian Joy, the host of Fox Sports' Bundesliga coverage, to look ahead to Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. This is Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com.
1: When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
0: Back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, sitting in for a few days for Jason Davis while he's on vacation. A reminder to folks, there's no serious XM show while Jason is off. This is it, and we began at 10 o'clock Eastern Time on the three days when I'm in the chair. I'll also be back on Monday. Now, we stretch the proverbial tin can and string all the way from the banks of the Schuylkill River here in Philadelphia to the banks of the Willamette River in Portland, Oregon. And welcome in Meg Lenahan, whose work you can find at Vice Sports, among many other places. Meg, good morning. I have to ask, first of all, whether the coffee out there in Portland measures up to those high standards that I know Dunkin' Donuts sets for you at your home in Massachusetts.
2: Oh, so far. So far, so good. I'm waiting for some donuts out here. That's really... I didn't quite make it yesterday. We had a little thing at Nike to show us some of the new women's products and all that sort of stuff yesterday, so I didn't really get a good coffee fix yesterday before the final, which I'm definitely feeling this morning, but um, today's Blue Star Donuts, so it's only a matter of time.
0: I have heard that the donuts out there are pretty good. I don't eat them because... Oh. I, I eat enough bad food as is already. Um,
2: it's okay. Charlie Bowman and I, yesterday, uh, we ran quite a bit at Nike headquarters, so I feel okay about eating at least All right, two good. to three donuts later.
0: Good. you've You've earned it. All right. Let's talk about the NWSL title game, a great showcase for the league last night. Big and boisterous crowd in Portland, uh, over 13,000. Amy Rodriguez uh, with the game-winning goal, the only goal of the game in the 78th minute. The setup from uh, Heather O'Reilly, who it was noted during the Fox broadcast, Jill Ellis was specifically scouting there.
2: (laughs) Yes. Interesting, isn't it? I I mean, you would think at this point they would perhaps know what Heather O'Reilly is capable of. I I certainly think, you know, I've I've been a fan of her game. She's played in Boston. I followed her on the national team, clearly. She has been around for a while. Uh, I do think that Stephanie Cox, I mean, I I tweeted this during the game, Stephanie Cox had done a fairly good job of containing her on the right, giving her some space, at least in the, the middle of the field, and then as soon as she gets to the final third, managing to get in close and actually poke the ball away and then Heather O'Reilly decides to go over to the left side after that little bit of a break when when Kendall Fletcher was injured and then sets up the game winning goal and Blackwell and Donofsky the head coach of FC Kansas City after the game said I'd like to take credit for that move but that was all Heather O'Reilly saying I've got to do something different and and getting over to the other side of the field and, and that's really what made the difference and so Maybe Jill Ellis is going to see that from last night and say, man, I should really get her on the national team.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the other things that, and it was Julie Stewart Binks who mentioned it uh, in talking about what Jill Ellis was watching for, you know, the mention was, well, Lauren Holiday obviously is retiring. There's going to be a place Mm -hmm. open for somebody to step in on the national team. Now, far be it from me, why I don't think, Meg, I don't know why I would ever criticize a U.S. national team coach for um, playing players out of position. But um, Erica Timrak was out there last night. Yes. And I know that this hasn't been the best of seasons for her, but if you're looking for replacements for Lauren Holiday, isn't Timrak more the kind of person that you'd want to be scouting?
2: Yes, I would definitely think Timrak would be the person that you would want to look at in terms of a a creative central presence for you. I mean, Heather O'Reilly is, I personally think, an amazing soccer player, but she's also straight out like an outside winger. That is what Heather O'Reilly does. That is her game. And I think that's absolutely a known factor. She has never changed her game. She has never attempted to change her game. She does what she does, and teams still can't stop her, whereas Erica Timrak is that sort of creative presence in the middle of the field. I know people were talking last night about Erica Timrak was probably one of the biggest losers of Tom Sermani getting uh, booted from the national team and then Jill Ellis coming in. She has not really seen a lot of time. So hopefully, you know, Jill Ellis was watching what she was doing in that game last night. I don't know if she necessarily had quite as great a game as she could have been, but really that game came down to Lauren Holiday, you know, sacrificing part of her game, um really getting a lot of coverage, and then Heather O'Reilly and Erica Timrak taking up that slack and saying, okay, they're going to um, mark Holiday, double-team her constantly. And those two players really were the difference-makers for FC Kansas City.
0: You know, and obviously one of the big storylines is Lauren Holiday going out as a champion um, yeah. with the Women's World Cup and now with an NWSL medal. I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy you know, obviously, I, I, I do wish she would continue playing, from the soccer side of me, but from the personal side of me, the fact that she um, has made a decision for herself, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's something that she wants to do, and she wants to go and spend more time with Drew Holiday, and they want to have a family together. Um, I don't begrudge her one bit i think it's a it's a great thing that she's doing what she wants to do, and this morning, I am especially happy that she played all ninety minutes because if she had really been injured when she hit the deck there, it would have been yeah. just a horrifying way for her to go
2: yeah that was that was a scary moment simply because there's no contact and and after post game um she mentioned that she has a heart arrhythmia, she said usually you know i can sort of calm myself down and, and get under control. I mean, the first thing that she said was Amy scored and she gave me a heart attack So she was very much joking about it, and but that was a very scary moment. No one in the press box really knew it was happening, and it was so late in the game. There was no contact. It was a, just a very intense moment. She got back up, saw her come over to the sideline. I, I was watching her sort of stretch and get herself back together, and then she came back on, and it was immediately a full sprint, but Lauren Holiday, as a person, I think everybody in women's soccer will say is one of the just most genuine, kindest people you can interact with. Um, I actually interviewed her probably for the last time the, um, last time I was out in Portland. I think we were actually together uh, for Thorns FC, Kansas City back in the first year of the league. And uh, FC Kansas City had won that game and she just stood on the field with us in very intense heat and talked happily for 10 minutes about soccer. So I think everybody has a great Lauren Cheney or Lauren Holiday story. I also, I don't regret her for retiring. I, I think that that was a personal decision and, you know, that's, that's part of the game for a lot of these players. So I, I, I do think that she is leaving a huge mark on this game. She's definitely leaving a huge gap for both FC Kansas City and the
0: national team, though. You know, you mentioned earlier her coach, Vladimir Kanofsky, and, and you know, he didn't want to take the credit for the play that, that built up the goal. I understand that. But I'd like to give him some credit anyway, because he's a fantastic coach. And I hope the folks who watched the game last night, who maybe don't always follow women's soccer, uh, to the degree that, that you and I do, and certainly you follow it even more than I do at this point. I, I hope that folks saw how good a coach he is because they just, Seattle couldn't do a thing in the last 10 minutes. They had them absolutely, right. uh, you know, shut down, and I think that Votko deserves a lot of credit for that.
2: Right, and, you know, I think, first of all, those are the two best coaches in the league. There is no reason why the two last finals have been FC Kansas City and Seattle Arena FC. Those are your two best coaches in the league. And I think that they have somewhat similar styles. I mean, it was very much a chess match. The two of them were in the very corners of their technical areas for pretty much the entire game towards the tail end of that last 10 minutes when Seattle was full pressure, that sort of Seattle rain game of we we're just going to come at you and come at you and come at you. Blacko was legitimately coming onto the field to protest some calls from the ref. So they're both very high-intensity coaches and both of them after the game had a lot of comments about, you know, the integrity of their teams and sort of the, the composition and, but Varko, I mean, someone asked him a question about how they succeeded a team. And we're doing the first words out of his mouth after the game. Or, we're a family we're you know, we're going to make it work. And he had talked about the start of the season for FC Kansas city. He said, everybody was questioning us because, you know, we were, we did not start as well as we usually do. Um, but we're a family and, The thing is, he's not joking about it. It's not just the sort of thrown away comment. They legitimately meant it. Both Lauren Holiday and Amy Rodriguez, who were in that press conference, turned and smiled at him. It is, there's a vibe to that team where they are greater than the sum of their parts, which is where I think maybe Seattle is still missing. There are a bunch of great individual players. I think they function well as a team, but there's something about FC Kansas City where they have this incredible chemistry and this family vibe that is a legitimate thing, and and Andonofsky is 100% the cause of that.
0: I'll tell you what, it's remarkable to me, and I know it's, it's purely coincidence in a lot of ways. You, you follow Major League Soccer as well, I know. Yes, yes. Everything of what you've said sounds exactly like everything I've heard I was Sporting Kansas City all week as they won the U.S. Open Cup. Maybe it's something it's in the water out
2: there.
0: Kansas City. Maybe it's something in the Boulevard Beer or hops or whatever it is. I don't know. But it's remarkable to me. And, and look, those two organizations, FC Kansas City and Sporting, they get along. They're not the yeah. same organization in the way that, um, you know, the thorns and the timbers are. I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, FC Kansas City, they play at Sporting's training ground now, right, Swope Park? Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, but, but that's about it. It's it's really remarkable to me to to hear that, and I think that it, you know, maybe we could well see the day that Vlatko is coaching the women and Peter Vermes is coaching the men.
2: Yeah, it'd be a while probably, but you know, (laughs) Kansas City is, I mean, they they definitely have a good relationship with their MLS side. They're not, you know, what Thorns and and Timbers are. They're not what Houston Dash and Houston Dynamo are. But I think that FC Kansas City, Sport and KC have one of those relationships where the rest of the league that doesn't have that direct MLS relationship is looking at Kansas City and going, how do we get that? And they have a great technical side. Hugh Williams has done a lot for that team in terms of scouting. You know, it's not just Loco; it's, it's the entire way down. So, there is a lot to admire and look at for FC Kansas City, and say this is maybe our model for a team to aspire to, for sure. I mean, Seattle Rain is really the same way. It's not just Laura Harvey; it's also Bill Predmore, the owner, who who does a lot behind the scenes, and you know, Laura Harvey is both head coach and general manager. But these are two teams, and I find it very interesting that it's two teams who have made the past two finals. Neither of them have those MLS resources directly. And that's a, that's a big discussion in the National Women's Soccer League world of, you know, we've got this, this gem in Portland. Houston came in. We're clearly looking at expansion in Orlando. They have these resources, and so far those resources haven't necessarily translated into postseason success. So Let, me ask, let me ask City, this, though.
0: And I think last year might be the better measure than this year, because if every team in the NWSL had all of its World Cup stars all the way through the year, Mm -hmm. and I know Paul Riley had some issues in Portland, but I look at Portland and Houston and have to think that surely they would have done a lot better than they did.
2: I mean, Houston had a great turnaround this year. I do think maybe they would have... I, I was expecting Houston to make the playoffs, and it was a very near miss. So and then next year we have the Olympics. So it's really, I mean, you always are going to have these two years where you're in the the major cycle and then two years off. So are we not going to see Houston dash in the playoffs until 2017? I don't necessarily know that's the case when Orlando city eventually comes in, which we're all expecting. He's got another expansion draft to go to. Um, We're going to have national team players moving around in this off season. That is pretty much guaranteed. There's a lot of movement in this league. So, there's going to be more player retirements. There's a lot up for grabs. I don't think that um, anything is anywhere near set in stone for who we should expect in the playoffs next year. Um, you know, Mark Parsons has left Washington Spirit. It is expected he is going to Portland. It's pretty much a done deal. So, Portland is going to, I think, finally really have a coach that is going to be able to maybe use pieces that are going to be there the entire year a little bit more effectively than what Paul Riley somehow didn't quite like, manage to to corral together so I don't know maybe we're finally going to see this year where Portland is going to have the resources going to have the coaching going to have players there who a team can build around year round rather than having eight players gone for the World Cup all summer so you
0: know it's funny you say that because Paul Riley was the master when he was in Philadelphia mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. building a great team that didn't have yeah. the World Cup superstars. Yeah. And ironically enough with Amy Rodriguez,
3: mm-hmm.
0: among others, came up just short of a title. Yes. Yeah. And now and he I, goes to Poland
2: with her. And it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean Paul Riley, when he was in WPS, I mean he was he was the guy and now you have him in NWSL, and it just was not a success in Portland. And I I think everybody is aware of that. I don't know what his next move is going to be. I think, you know, baseline, he is a great coach, but I'm not sure if it was just the way that Portland works where it wasn't a translation to that sort of postseason success. But I, I don't think that it's necessarily a reflection on him directly. Every time I have watched him, I mean, I'm based out of Boston, Every time Portland has come to Boston recently, Boston has somehow managed to, for the most part, destroy Portland. So, and I would not say that the Boston Breakers have had the best coaching over the past couple of years either. So it was very much a strange little, if and Andonofsky and Laura Harvey had their tough match, the Portland Thorns and Boston Breakers were just sort of the bizarro universe version of that.
0: You know, I have heard those Portland-Boston matchups tend to get a lot of people talking.
2: They are just one of the more bizarre games that you can watch in, uh, in, in WSL. I don't know what it is about them. They tend to be these strange, weird blowouts. Um, Tom Durkin likes to change lineups just drastically. And, you know, a lot of 4-1 score lines, So, just very strange games.
0: Well, Durkin's out now. And yeah. I think as we start to look forward to next year and what's to come, I look at Boston, Washington, and Sky Blue. Washington now is not going to have Mark Parsons anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the NWSL needs those teams to prosper and to be yeah. strong. The Spirit, we're certainly getting there slowly. I still believe yeah. as somebody who grew up down there that there's an amount of limitation from playing at the Soccerplex but they still manage to get very big crowds out there by NWSL standards.
2: They do. They do. Um, so but the Breakers and
0: Sky Blue, now what?
2: I mean, Breakers, here's the thing about National Women's Soccer League. It's, it's not necessarily just the Breakers. Breakers and Chicago are the two teams in two very major markets that have been around for so long that need to do better in their markets and i've spent a lot of time thinking about how these teams can do better and get better crowds and succeed and there's a lot of competition in those markets um we've seen some some tentative partnerships with some wnba teams this year with some women's hockey teams this year there're definitely things in the works um chicago has has made that turnaround Rory dames has done great things they made the playoffs they fell you know just shy this year They've had their turnaround from year one, and then year two, and year three, they have finally arrived. Boston Breakers in National Women's Soccer League have been a bit of a train wreck from from day one in terms of, you know, Lisa Cole came in as the head coach year one, got bumps, um, you know, on the during the playoff push. Cat Whitehill, player coach, Tom Durkin comes in year two, year three, that's a disaster. We've got Matt Beard from Liverpool now coming in. I do think that the results clearly need to improve. The crowds post-World Cup have been better. I still don't think they're in the right stadium, that backfield um, at Harvard, where the Reds played their Open Cup game. I still don't know if that's the right place for them to be playing. There's a lot in Boston, I think, that, that needs to be looked at. And I don't know if it necessarily needs to just tear it all down and build it back up and see what happens? Or, you know, Boston is really, that's my market. I look at it all the time. I still don't quite know what to do about them.
0: It's funny that you say that you don't think that that soldiers feel at Harvard is the right place. I understand why, and I certainly would like to see the breakers back at Nickerson Field at Boston University. I mean, I've said over the years, I've dreamed of finding ways To engineer some sort of funky triangular, you know, very vertical and not at all horizontal MLS stadium on the Nickerson Field site just because the location is so perfect. But if you offered the Chicago Red Stars a location with proximity to the city that the Harvard Stadium complex has, and I've been there many times, it's plenty easy to get to, the Red Stars would take it in a heartbeat, wouldn't they? Oh,
2: absolutely. 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 Yeah, they're very limited by their location. And, and that's part of the challenge about Chicago too is, you know, it's, it's, they've got a very strange situation over there. I I know that they definitely try to, to do work with the Chicago Fire. I I don't know. They don't have that relationship like Sporting Kansas City and FCKC. So Chicago definitely could use a better location, but I, I think that the team itself, It's certainly there. It's just a matter of of getting more people out at games.
0: And we should remember that Peter Wilt launched that team. Yeah. And he launched it pretty well. You know, and and obviously, and I I wrote about this uh, right before the NWSL playoffs started. Everybody understands that it costs a lot more to play at Toyota Park than it does to play in a a large high school or college stadium in the Chicago suburbs. I get that. Mm Mm-hmm. But, and, and you know, they obviously got screwed by having to play their playoff game at the same time as the Bears' season opener. And the Bears' season opener mm-hmm. was against the Packers, which is probably the only game all year that the Bears fans would actually care about at this point. Um, I, I asked this of Jeff Plush. I asked it of Lori Kolopny. I asked it of lots of people at the time. And I know that Jeff Plush doesn't always like about talking about all these infrastructure things and so forth. But guess what? As I said yesterday on the show he's the commissioner of the NWSL and that's his job.
2: That's, that is his
0: playing yes. these games in the MLS stadiums adds stature to them.
2: Yes, and I mean that's that's where I think MLS needs to look at this and say this is our this is where we can help. And I do think MLS as a as an entity unto itself is finally really starting to look at the women's game and going, we want in on this. But because they have the
0: money now to do it.
2: Yes, yes. And I I think MLS is needed for two reasons. And I I don't necessarily want to commit to some sort of full partnership of MLS and NWSL. I don't know if that's needed. There's certainly a lot of tension behind the scenes in terms of that MLS coming in to the rescue. And, you know, I think... The, the ownership group really wants to prove as a whole that they can also still do this independently. Um, but I I do think MLS is needed for both some stadium help, but it's also needed desperately for help in getting more games on television. And I think that's where MLS can help most. It's getting more people watching these games in a fashion where they can watch them easily. I know YouTube streams are available the quality of the stream still needs to get up. And I don't know if that's something where we can finally have MLS come in and say, this is how you run an efficient game day video experience. But that's really, I think, one of the most major areas where the National Women's Soccer League needs to improve is getting games on television, getting a better streaming experience. I mean, I, I subscribe to MLS Live. That's where they need to be. And that's not necessarily something where they're ready to to be able to do that across the board. I mean, Washington Spirit have had internet problems out at, of at their fields off and on this entire year. So streaming has, has been out of the question for some games. And that's which, the sort which of let's, 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 thing. Not
0: mince, let's not mince words about that with the Spirit. And you and I are both... As are a lot of people in the women's soccer realm, very good friends with their now former head of PR, Sarah Gerke, who wrote for the Soccer Wire and a lot of other places over the years. And she worked her backside off to do the best she could for that team. But yeah. the fact that the Spirit could not stream their games out of the soccerplex is inexcusable, and they should be called on it in just that way.
2: And If you, if you cannot have people who aren't at the game watching the game, it, it's just, that's a, a giant glaring issue that needs to be resolved during the off-season and, and that I its i don't know if it's a venue change that needs to happen some sort of infrastructure thing at the actual venue that needs to happen someone during the off-season that should be a number one discussion point and it's not just I, it, there are a number of discussion points that need to happen during the off-season in order to make year four better. The fact that we're even talking about year four is already a huge step but that doesn't mean okay we're going to stop talking About how we improve this week. So getting the game streamed better, better broadcast, better quality of discussion. This is how you improve the quality of your fan is, is better viewing experiences because there are only nine teams in this, in this country for this week. You don't have a majority of the people who want to follow this league in a market who's going to see the game. That's the number one area of improvement, at least for me, is more games on television, more a, a better streaming experience.
0: And the, the more games on television, in some ways I think you're right to say that the NWSL can certainly ask for Major League Soccer's help, but I'd almost put that on the U.S. Soccer Federation more because when the U.S. Soccer Federation and MLS did that big deal with ESPN and Fox, Mm-hmm. Yes, the television networks wanted to help bankroll MLS, but the real value, television ratings wise, is in the national team, yeah. and in then in the in the the women's the big women's friendlies and the big um, you know the men's World Cup qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the NWSL should have been included in that deal, and I really I wasn't in the room, obviously. I don't know who the various players were, but I'd like to imagine that if the various players on the NWSL side of it would have been on, and I don't know if they were or not. Again, I don't want to speak out of turn or speak for anybody else. I'd like to think it wouldn't have been that hard if people had stepped back for a moment and thought of it.
2: Just the entire way that the TV deal went down this year, they they delayed in announcing it for an incredibly long time. Uh, I don't know if the Commitment is there. I mean, Fox clearly broadcasted the final last night. It got a very strange time slot Thursday night, October first, nine thirty PM Eastern. I mean it wasn't necessarily a, a great time slot for the final, but I do think it makes sense for Fox to want to broadcast some of the, the big games for And they genuinely and do. They do. I mean, they were limited. They only went to MLS stadiums this year. So there's, I think, uh, an issue for the league to look at of how do we get other stadiums ready for a Fox broadcast? I, I But I, I do think you're right that U.S. soccer clearly obviously also has some clout in this situation and could perhaps increase the number of games that, that Fox is willing to carry. But there are certainly... I mean, and it's not, it should not just be about the national team players being able to draw eyeballs to these games that are televised. I mean, the league has a very high quality level of soccer on display for most games. I mean, there there are certainly some games from week to week that are not that great. But, you know, any game that Seattle Reign, FC Kansas City is going to be in those, you know, FC Kansas City is in a market where they broadcast games from all the time, so Having that partnership with, of, of, at some level with Sporting Kansas City, maybe that's where MLS can help out of saying, we'll get you into our stadium so we can get you on television.
0: You know, I, I'd love to see MLS do it, but the one, the one thing that I would say as a disclaimer to that is I'm not going to ask a team that doesn't want to get involved to get involved. And I'm going to put the right. Philadelphia Union front and center at that. Because a lot of people have asked me, well, what, are the union going to get it, try to launch an NWSL team? And I've said, first of all, I don't know whether they're interested. And second of all, they have to put their own house in order before they do. You're so right. I don't think right. the union are alone in that regard.
2: Right. I mean, I, I'm out of Boston. I, I don't think the Reds are ever... They are their own strange little organization, and the Boston Breakers do their own thing. And, you know, there's a little bit of communication, but there's certainly not a huge relationship between the New England Revolution and the Boston Breakers. The, I think the one of the more recent developments is the Breakers have had a tent outside of um, men's national team games held at Gillette Stadium. So I, I do agree that if the MLS side... Is not doing it for the right reasons. I want nothing to do with them. There's no, they're not helping. So having a team like Philadelphia that needs to figure itself out first, don't get involved in the NWSL <laughs> because it's not, it's not going to help anyone.
0: Well, in terms of the Both figuring the out
2: team and the women's team, yeah.
0: As you as you may have heard, Meg, as in terms of the figuring out, that's going to be a subject of some conversation. Later on the show today, last thing that I will say, Um, it remains remarkable to me as somebody who for a decade now has in various ways campaigned for closer ties between the men's and women's games. Not in a way where the men overrun the women, but where those of us on what is for better or worse my side of the ledger can approach the women's game and say, look, we want to support you. We want to bring the supporters culture into the women's game as the American outlaws did this summer. We want to treat women's soccer as soccer, just the way we treat it as men's soccer. And we mean that as a compliment. Right. And I think back to what I wrote this summer about the American outlaws and a line that still sticks out to me. Julie Foudy telling me that she wished that the American outlaws were around for the women's team when she was playing when I know that she was one of the key, most influential people in seeing to it that Major League Soccer had nothing to do with the Women's United Soccer Association. And Meg, how the times have changed since then.
2: Yes. I mean, and let me, let me say this. Last night, in the press box, there, Casey Blue crew, the supporters group for FC Kansas City, there was a huge contingent, clearly from Seattle, uh, in the opposite corner. Both of those, supporters areas were chanting the entire 90 minutes last night. FC Kansas City fans had help from the Riveters in the north. Well, I was, about, I was about
0: to say, I'm not sure all those Kansas City fans were from Kansas City.
2: But you could, you, you know what? I mean, the Blue Crew was clearly, you could tell who was originally a Kansas City fan. They clearly also got help from the rivers, but you could hear it because the river sort of lost it for a little bit in the middle there when it was getting cagey. Kansas City fans were going the full ninety. Seattle fans were going the full ninety, and you could hear them—the those chants overlapping. So, I think we are really finally starting to get there. And I know a lot of great, passionate fans who want that supporter culture, who are trying to do, who are trying to build these supporters groups. Um, there's a small summit of people who run supporters groups for national women's soccer teams, who have their own, you know, Facebook group to discuss things. They're getting there. It's it's going to happen. It's an only a matter of time. The the thing that the league needs to do is establish some sort of brand image, period, first of all. But say that this is a league for adult fans to come to, both female and male. Have fans come in and have it be a normal game day experience and not that sort of people think, okay, I'm gonna go to a women's game, it's gonna be a bunch of screaming kids and Sometimes that's the case, and sometimes it's very much not. So I think maybe, I would like to think, hopefully, that game day experience, the supporter culture, is starting to change. I definitely saw it last night. That final you was a great, great showcase for what the fan base could be.
0: Absolutely. Unfortunately, Meg, you said the magic word, brand, so we have to kick you off the air. Um, <laughs> Just kidding, but we do we do unfortunately have to go to a break. Meg, thank okay. you so much. Safe travels home to Boston. I'm sure I'll see you thank up so there much. at some point during the winter. And, right. and before Meg gets off the air, let me just say that Meg and I both among, are among the people who have been for a long time trying to, to bridge those gaps between um, the men's and women's soccer communities. Uh, and it was great to have you on and to be able to talk about it today, Meg. And we'll talk again soon, all mm-hmm. right? I think Meg is gone. All right. Then. Uh, we will take a quick break. Come back. I'm going to run through some of the games to watch this weekend. There are a lot of them. And then at 11.15, Matt the George of the Delaware County Times to talk about Nick apparently departing from the Philadelphia Union. We await the official statement from the team. My understanding is that it may be coming down while we are still on the air. And then after Matt, Ian Joy of Fox Sports to talk about their coverage of the Bundesliga and the big game this weekend between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. This is Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk.
1: When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, sitting in for Jason Davis for a couple of days. Uh, while he is on vacation, we're getting ready to have Matt DeGeorge, the Delaware County Times, on at about 11.15, 11. 11.20 11. or so to talk about Nick Sakevich's reported departure from the Philadelphia Union. We await the official statement from the team. As I said a few moments ago, it could well be coming down while we are on air. In the meantime, let's take some calls. 646-832-3909 is the number. And while we wait for the phones to light up, let's go through some of the big games to watch this weekend. What a weekend to come of soccer games on your television and on your computer. If the weather's bad where you are this weekend, you will have plenty of ways to pass the time. We begin this afternoon on Fox Sports 1 and Goal TV with Darmstadt, the Bundesliga underdogs of all underdogs, against Mainz. 2.30 2.30 for that one. Tonight at 7 o'clock on Uymas, D.C. United hosting New York City FC. The word out of Washington is that the game will be played as it looks like Hurricane Joaquin tracks east and hopefully stays away from land. The Eastern Conference standings as they are now, D.C. United 45, Toronto 43, Montreal 42. Those are the 4, 5, and 6 in the East, Orlando 38, New York City FC 37. so it's number four, number seven in the East tonight at seven o'clock on UniMas. Tomorrow on NBC over the air, as well as NBC Universo on cable at 12:30. Chelsea and Southampton. in the morning on Fox Sports one and Fox Supportes, Borussia Munch Gladback against Wolfsburg, Fabian Johnson going up against a stacked. Wolfberg, Wolfsburg attack, we'll talk a little bit about that with the enjoy of Fox Sports coming up. And at 10 o'clock on BN Sports, both in English and Spanish, Sevilla and Barcelona, how will Barcelona do without Lionel Messi? Full slate of MLS action on Saturday, highlighted by the Red Bulls in Columbus at 7 o'clock, Orlando and Montreal at 7.30. If you're in Canada and you have TV Asper, you can watch it there. At 10.30, two games simultaneously, San Jose and Vancouver—that's on TSN one, four, and five in Canada—and also Portland and Kansas City on Sunday at eight thirty in the morning on NBC, SN, and NBC Universo. Liverpool and Everton—the Merseyside derby—and at the same hour, eight thirty Eastern, on Univision Deportes. PSV Eindhoven and Ajax Amsterdam. Yes, Univision has the Dutch league. And on that note, the most famous Ajax fan in the soccer morning listenership is on the line. Right now, as we speak, here is Richard McGovern calling in live from, well, I know where he's calling from. I shouldn't disclose his employer unless he wants me to. Rick, good morning. You're alive. <laughs> good morning, John. How you doing? Doesn't really matter how I'm doing, does it? It matters how you're doing.
3: I am, you know, I, last night when it broke, I thought I'd be happier. But this morning, I feel a sense of warmness and contentment I haven't felt since, uh, I, I don't even know when. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bright day. We're going to have a new start. Maybe Bill Manning gets a job in a day or two. And, uh, you know, Ajax is playing this weekend. Byron's playing this weekend. It's, it's a good day to be alive.
0: Hold off on that Bill Manning speculation, by the way, because I'm not so sure whether he might already um, have taken a position. Richard, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Since sure. uh Oh, here it is. The statement has been sent to union season ticket holders. I believe it came from Jay Sugarman, it looks like. I'm going to read it here. I want to share some news directly. We are making a change in the front office and parting ways with Nick Sakevich. There it is, folks. In the interim, Dave Rowan, current chief revenue officer who I know very well, will oversee day-to-day business operations. Nick was instrumental in bringing a team to Philadelphia and building our organization from the ground up. And we thank him for the dedication and perseverance he showed in those efforts and his passion for the club. Now it is time for a new era of progress to begin. And yes, I've just been forwarded the letter that the union sent to season ticket holders. And it came signed by Jay Sugarman, the principal owner of the team. Last and here's the press release from uh, the union. Um, Conference call with Jay Sugarman at 2 o'clock this afternoon, uh, it says. And also reaffirming that Dave Rowe the chief revenue officer will take uh, the reins in the interim. We return to Jay Sugarman's letter to the union season ticket holders. Last year, it was apparent our organizational structure needed to change in order to provide a stronger and more focused sporting direction for the union. Our plan was to bring aboard a sporting director with significant experience. To add to the MLS knowledge of Jim Curtin and Chris Albright and help us materially improve our player acquisition processes, player evaluation methods, and player development capabilities. In addition, we wanted clear lines of responsibility throughout the organization, with our youth academy, USL team and first team all reporting up to a strong sporting director with a clear plan and a defined competitive strategy with to guide recruitment, training and teaching at all levels. Unfortunately, we have not been able to fill this role yet. We are committed to finding the right person for the sporting director position, and we want this person in place as soon as possible to impact the upcoming player decisions needed to strengthen our roster and oversee increased integration of all soccer operations. We are working to have this role filled by the end of the year. In the meantime, we have continued to invest in the foundation of the club over the past two years Ownership has committed over $15 million in capital to areas that we believe are critical to building long-term success. The new training fields, new first-team training center, new USL team, and increased academy commitments are all part of a plan to put in place the infrastructure necessary for success and set the table for better performance on the field. Allow me to interject here for a second, folks. That new first-team training center seems to be a good ways off from coming to fruition in the ways that I have heard about. Back to Sugarman's letter. Now we need to attract a leader and an architect on the sporting side who can build on these investments and develop a strategy that will give us an edge in the league going forward. One last important thing, and I and the other owners want to assure you that we are committed to winning. We can also assure you that we will make mistakes, but we will acknowledge them, learn from them, and then correct them until we succeed. Your loyal support as we enter this new era is critical and we remain deeply grateful for your continued commitment as we make the Philadelphia Union a team we are all proud of. My sincere thanks, Jay Sugarman, chairman. Wow. Richard, you're the one you're in the stands, you tell me.
3: Well, first off, when you say practice field, do you mean the helipad?
0: Well, yes, I do, and I might ask Jay Sugarman about that this afternoon. <laughs>
3: Um, my, my first, uh, my first perception of that is that that was absolutely the sort of statement that was needed. I think there's a number of fans who would have liked something a little more, let's say on the nose regarding sack, but you're not going to get that. I think it's a strong statement. It would be better if he had come out and actually held a press conference and said it, Jeffrey Lurie like, but, um, You know, with that said, I I think it's a very good statement. I think Dave Rowan's a fantastic guy. Um, I've met him several times. I I know you know him. And uh, he seems very competent at his job, and I'm sure the team will be in good hands during the search. The question is whether they're going to go to a CEO model or whether Sugarman's going to be more involved and they're going to have Rowan in charge of the business side and the sporting director on the sporting side. You know, how that structure's going to shake out, that's going to probably be the biggest decision coming up.
0: You know, and and I've had some people come to me this morning and, uh, you know, say, well, they've heard there might be more moves to come. But uh, I wonder, and I'll talk to Matt uh, DeGeorge about this uh, later on in the morning. I wonder whether Chris Albright might be on the hot seat, especially if a new sporting director comes in.
3: Well, you have to think, and, and this is the question, if they are planning on, on, on reorganizing, they're planning on bringing in an overall GM above a sporting director. Then they've got to hire that guy, and then that guy has to start the sporting director search over again. And then that guy, when they bring in a sporting director, is the technical director on the hot seat, is the coach on the hot seat, because they're going to want their own guys. And if that's not the case, then, the, then you're looking at a year, uh, a, full, uh, a full season, of essentially auditions for the jobs that people already have. And that's a lost year.
0: Well, it's, it's a given that, you know, Mm -hmm. if they bring in a sporting director, well, first of all, it's a given at this point that the sporting director search starts over. Has to be.
3: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, you know, so start from that. And of
3: course, they're hiring technical staff for uh, for Lehigh Valley as well, because apparently they were clo- uh, they were close to closing with one of Sachs' candidates for that as well. Right. There, there's a number of positions if they're planning on filling it in the next three months. I'm not sure. At least historically, this club has shown they can move that quickly, and uh, you know, much less, you know, for two teams now.
0: Well, I've, I'm the one who's put the name Bill Manning on the table. And I've put the name and Bill name. on the table, not because I, he was the former president of Real Salt Lake, for people who don't know. He left a couple months ago. I haven't put the name on the table because I know anything. I don't. It's my own speculation. And First ties to the areas, work for the Eagles. Exactly. That's, that's why I wondered, because he used to work for the Eagles, and he knows mm-hmm. this market. That's why it made sense to me. And obviously, he's got the great soccer mind, and Real Salt Lake has been one of the most successful and consistently successful teams in Major League Soccer, even though they don't have the most money. Given the my resources, general, RSL has to manager.
3: be the model the union look at.
0: Right, exactly. And Kansas City also. My dream mm-hmm, general absolutely. manager, general manager technical side, always has been and always will be Peter Wilt. It has been for a decade or whatever it is now. He, I think, is the best at his job in American soccer. There are others who are really good. Um, Garth Lagaway, obviously, is one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Peter Vermes is very good. Ali Curtis, I think we've seen with the Red Bulls, is very good. I have a lot of hope in what Claudio Reyna can do for New York City FC, if he's allowed to. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think... We're going to find... We'll find out soon, you know. I I just... Man- Manning is my own suggestion, to make it clear again to folks. Not anything more um, than that. Richard, any final thoughts from you? Because the calls are lining up.
3: No, absolutely. I'm just, i just, you know, I, I I find it difficult to rejoice in a man losing his job, and I think rejoice is the wrong word. But this is a necessary step, and it's good to finally see the ownership starting to 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 perceive what the actual state of the team is, as opposed to what, you know, the sort of delusions they've been in for a while. Also, I actually going to crush PSB this weekend. Sorry.
0: I was wondering when you were going to say that. Rick, thanks for calling. We'll talk again soon, all right? Thanks, J.T. Bye. And the button, there we go. Before I take the next call, let me say something real quick, alluding to what Richard McGovern just said about not rejoicing in a man losing his job. Um, a number of people since... The reports came out last night have tweeted at me, thanks and congratulations and things like that. I take no credit for this. I don't want to take any credit for this, and I shouldn't. Um, as I've said all along, it doesn't matter what I say are right, what Kevin Kincaid says are right, what Matt DeGeorge says are right, what Mark Darducci and Bob Ford and Mike Jensen at the Enquirer, or John Smallwood at the Daily News, Karif Gabriel back when he was at the Daily News what any of us have ever written. What matters is the fans, the fans protesting either by dissent or by apathy. Apathy is a pretty strong tool. Um, I have never doubted Nick Sakevich's desire to win. I have never doubted Nick Sikiewicz's passion for growing soccer in the United States. I've only doubted his understanding of how to do it. And I've also to be sure, doubted his ethics. I have at times doubted his character. He has lied to me as he has lied to a lot of other people over the years. Um, He has double-crossed people. He has not fulfilled many promises that he has made over the years. He has fulfilled promises. There are many promises that he has made that he has not fulfilled. That's how I should phrase it. Um, But I don't question that he wants to win and that he wants to grow the game in this country. And there is no single story that I have wanted to write more over the union's entire history than the story of the day or the night when Nick Sikiewicz wins his first trophy. And I've told him that many times. From one Richard in Philly to another, I believe this might be the same Richard who called yesterday with a 609 aerial code, good morning, you're on the air.
3: Hey, hey, John. How you doing?
0: As always, it doesn't matter how I'm doing. It matters how you're doing.
3: I know. I know. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is what me, me, and you talked with our mutual friend Steve
4: Holwood yesterday, and that maybe that that is a is a or Zikavich? Always mix it up too.
0: Kevich.
4: Kevich. That he was that he was the sacrificial lamb for Jay Sugarman, and that. We need to look on his career and feel that maybe Sakevich wasn't as bad. Well, he was bad, but he—he's getting the bad rap for this as much as he should have.
0: And I think Sakevich. And I and I, about, and I replied to Steve, who's one of my best friends, and I've known him for a long time. And folks who've listened to this show for a while know that I had him on last year to talk about the history of the Open Cup. Nick Sakevich is no sacrificial mean He may be a sacrificial lamb but he deserves to be out of his job and he is not a good person and his, in his dealings with me and with other people in the Philadelphia soccer community. And prior to that with the Metro stars. So I I think Steve is wrong about that. And I certainly, I know Steve very well and uh, have had the conversation with him and I'll leave it at that if you don't mind.
3: Yeah. And that's, that's fine I, I, and I was making me think because
4: there was a uh, discussion on Facebook right this morning about why the sympathy for the came through. and I think a lot of is if you look at his career and what the good things he did do, but right, he was one of the main, one of the first few architects of the league of MLS and he was the one that got Red Bulls in the Red Bull arena and then you and the former sons of Ben president Brian James we, we what he did to bring the union to the league. and I, so I think a lot of fans and I'm not defending him at all. Trust me. Uh, but I think a lot of fans missed the good things he did and just saw another bit red and thought, well, maybe when he, as uh, much as we are celebrating a man losing his job, we should reflect that, wow, without him, the union may not be where they are now. I mean, of the, go- of the good they do bring to, to fans.
0: That's true. And, and Sikiewicz obviously did a lot to get PPL Park built although on his legacy, is taking the $50 million in free state money to build in Chester instead of in the city of Philadelphia because they didn't have the resources on hand to pass up the money, and they made all those promises about commercial development in Chester that have never been fulfilled. That was pointed out quite bluntly last night by Matt DeGeorge. who will be on the show with us later. Richard, I'm going to let you go because I've got another call coming in. Thanks very much. No problem. Richard mentioned Brian James the founder of the Sons of Ben. And Richard and I both were talking a moment ago about what Nick Sakevich did to bring the union into fruition. I have known Brian James since I was in high school. We used to go to games together in D.C. when I was growing up there. Brian James did more. Brian, if you're listening out there, know that I say this to you as a longtime friend of yours. Brian, you did more to bring this team into existence than Nick Sakevich did. Nick Sakevich got it launched, but you brought it into existence. And I hope for your sake, as for the sake of all the other Union fans that I am friends with, that going forward now, things really are better and that your dreams to win a championship are realized and you will know that Sakevich was what was holding the team back. We go to Bill in Rockland, near Red Bull Arena. I'm guessing that's Rockland, what, Rockland, New Jersey or New York, Bill? Um, but I might have to ask you it's about a, Nick Sikiewicz, too. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Jonathan. This is uh, Bill from Rockland, New York. And uh, I don't care how you're doing. I just want to talk soccer.
0: Well, thank so you. Are you, really, uh,
4: how are you a Red Bull fan? Yes, I am.
0: Were you and a I'm Metro Stars fan?
4: Phone. Well, I'm actually... I'm calling about uh, tomorrow night, pecking night at Red Bull Arena, which I'm really oh, glad you yes, right. And I And I could almost tie this in now with what's going on. Like, I'm hearing you talk about the whole Philly thing and everything else and about their ownership and everything else like that. And I know yesterday you were complaining about Sugarman flying in. At least Sugarman wants to be there. I don't think our owners have ever been to a game at Red Bull Arena.
0: So, at least you had that going well, on. Well, I do now that may be true. I don't know whether that's true or not. But obviously your ownership is a bit different from the unions because you're owned by a corporation. And that happens. Toronto FC is owned by a corporation, folks. All of you who think that Toronto FC supporter culture is such a great thing. They're owned by a corporation. Um, but you have Mark Prix and Gerard Houllier and Ali Curtis and guys like that who have built up a stronger executive culture and a deeper executive culture than what the union have. Well,
4: what Is that I fair? Wanted to bring up with the tech, it's fair to a degree, definitely. What I wanted to bring up, though, about Pecky with the I've heard people in the past now saying, because we're doing well this season, look how the Red Bull fans forgot about Pecky. There's no more talk about Pecky. There's no more of this and that or anything else. And I just want to make it clear to all the fans out there, we are where we are today because of Mike Pecky.
0: That's Mike correct. Pecky,
4: the last two years, what he did with this team, this team the last two years was incredible, and this team would have been in the same place today with Pecky or without Pecky.
0: So that, well, uh, that, I want to I, mean, I want to push year. back on that a little bit. You are where you are today because of Mike Pecky, but not exclusively because of Mike Pecky.
4: It's nothing to be an exclusive to every one person. I definitely but I guess when people say, oh, they forgot about Mike Pecky, they don't care about Mike Pecky now because they won. Mike Pecky is one of us. He will always be one of us. And we are where we are because of Mike Peck. And no, I don't I want anybody to I- think anything differently because we're happy that we're winning this
0: year. Sure. No, absolutely. But I hope you know that I mean? people give okay. Jesse Marsh the proper credit for what he's done. And i think we all did. We
4: were all at the town hall meeting, and none of us had a problem with Jesse Marsh. We all know that Justin Marsh is a great coach and was going to be a great coach. He did a great job in Montreal. We don't know why they let him go up there. And he's going to be... Him and Pecky are a lot alike. You know, that's why we, we like the guy. We like the passion. We like the way he coaches everything about him. And so there's nothing to do with Marsh about that. Our whole thing was Ali Curtis. You know, just coming in and putting his footprint down and just getting rid of a guy just for the sake of getting rid of a guy because he wasn't your guy. That was awesome.
0: Well... Uh, Look, I think that a GM has the right to hire a coach of his choosing. Obviously, look, and I don't know Ali. I know Ali somewhat, not well. But I certainly think that he would probably acknowledge that he could have been more diplomatic in the way that he went about that. But I do think that a GM has a right to hire a coach of his choosing. Let me ask you one more thing. You were a Metro Stars fan back in the day, right? Yes. How much of what you have seen Nick Sakevich do with the union is exactly what happened with the Metro Stars in terms of ultimately fan apathy being a big deal and what drove him out, and the fact that he couldn't make that team into what it should have been for its market.
4: I just, I, I think it's so easy for us to point blame when a team's doing wrong and say, this guy's the problem, he's the problem, and everything else. There's so many things that go into a winning team. It's so hard to get a team to win. Look at Bull, we haven't won yet. 20 years, and we still haven't won. And Philly's only been around for six years, and I'm already hearing the fan base saying, "Ah, that's it. I'm not buying tickets. I'm not getting tickets next year. I'm giving up." We could, if we were have did that, we wouldn't have a team now. You got to stick with your team because it's your team. It's your area where you're from. You're from Philly. You're a Philly fan. You're from New York. You're a Red Bulls fan. And this is our You got to stick with it. It's so hard to get a winning program. And it takes a long time, and six years isn't long enough. And I almost, i think the Phillies fans should sit back and relax a little bit and let this team come along. Give them a few more years before they're all dumping shit.
0: Well, I would remind you that the the opposing supporting supporters clubs chanting, "How many trophies have you won?" Stop when you all won the supporter shield. Listen, I gotta let you go. Know I got other callers coming in, but thanks. All right.
3: Johnson, thank you. Great show.
0: To uh, to James. Who's been on hold for twenty minutes, which I apologize for, uh, James. Sorry for keeping you on hold for so long. What's up?
4: No, that's okay. I just wanted to talk uh, to Nick yeah uh, Let's try. Yeah. I got a couple more
0: calls. We'll try to keep it quick if we can. But go ahead.
4: Yeah, I just uh, I, I wrote a fan's view, approximately, well, exactly four days short of a year to his firing about. Nick uh, Sukhavich, father Nick, his the uh, article was about, and I was basically saying like it's great that he did his part to help the sons of Ben see uh, sons of Ben see their uh, you know dream come kind of to tuition, but he wasn't the right guy because of the decisions that he made, the different players you know that he chose to bring in here um, instead of making acquisitions of players that meant you know made sense to um, the progress of the team, he brought in players for, you know, shine and bright lights and get tickets back into the, you know, getting people back into the stadium. <clears throat> and, um, you know, my brother Rob and I, we went to the very first team at PPL Park, and as we're walking up, we were just so excited to actually see a stadium physically built here in Philadelphia. But as we're walking up to the stadium gates, he's like, you know, unfortunately, with Nick cabbage being the head of, of operations, we're never going to amount to anything because of the, you know, off-the-wall decisions that he makes. You know, and he knew, as a lot of other Union fans knew, his previous uh, work with the other teams uh, prior to coming to the Philadelphia. So as it's going to be some uh, hard road ahead of us while the Union get their feet back underneath their ground, uh, it, I think we need to stay the course, and it will be much better now that he's uh, has exited, and again, I don't mean to to take you know like uh, huge uh, excitement out of his loss of his career, um, but I'm sure it'll be able to bounce back and continue, uh, you know, on his way uh, with his life. And uh, I do appreciate some of the work he's done, but obviously, I think a lot of union fans, with his past experience, um, we saw like there would be no future. Uh, and now we can be excited and look towards the future. Now,
0: yeah, and it goes. I think to the point that Bill just made. He's right that it's that Union fans ought to be patient to a degree. You know, the expansion teams that come in from scratch always take longer to become sustainable contenders than the teams like Seattle and Portland, Vancouver, Orlando, Montreal that came up from the NASL or the USL or whatever it may be that they had their soccer operations in place. That's true. But I knew for a long yeah, time I, I agree with that. that ultimately that ultimately Sakevich would hold this organization, this team, this market, these fans back from fulfilling their potential. And that's what happened. James, I gotta let you go because I got one more call to take before Matt DeGeorge comes on the air. Thanks very much. All right.
4: Oh, thank you. Thank you. We
0: go to Nebraska. Adam, who wants to talk about MLS and U.S. soccer, right in the middle of Big Ten football season out there. Good morning, Adam.
4: Good morning, good morning. Before I get to my point, got to throw a snapshot to the Creighton Blue Jays. They're 8-0, tearing up hopefully the Big East soon. So they're uh, they're doing a good job this year. But um,
0: <sighs> Save it save it for basketball season when all the Villanova fans in my neck of the woods start watching. <laughs> right, right. Go, Jays. But um,
4: the, I guess my point, this is a little bit further from the Nick uh, Sikhevich situation, there seems to be a subset on Twitter. (laughs) I'm sure you've talked to them before, Jonathan, um, who thinks that MLS and some are the great evil on our game. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a thought experiment. Let's say this, this antitrust uh, charge from NASL Kessler comes through. What, what does the aftermath look like if, if, if that, well, I can, I,
0: can tell you, I can tell you what it would look like for certain. Um, I can tell you that it would look like, like a lot of really fascinating stuff coming out in open court in the public domain that I'm sure none of the parties involved really want to have out there. Um, if the antitrust lawsuit wins, I don't know. Then the NASL becomes Division I. So what? They want to be in the CONCACAF Champions League. You know, so that they can beat their chests around. I am not convinced that if traffic sports goes under as a result of the CONCACAF FIFA scandal, that the NASL will continue to exist. I believe that they are inseparable. And if San Antonio goes to the USL, and maybe if Indianapolis goes to the USL, then what? Yeah,
3: I guess um, my my thing was I,
4: I'm, I really, if, I'm if they unspool the TV contract between USSF and MLS. What would they do that if if the antitrust thing comes to fruition? Would they kinda like cut in half or deep like basically just tear it up? I don't that, would I that don't see what
0: the antitrust violation is in that contract. You know, maybe so, if, if Ted Filipakos or uh, or you know Steve Holroy is out there, they can tell me what the antitrust violation is in that T V contract. I don't see it. I don't know what the antitrust violation in that is. Oh, my. Well, Nick Sakevich isn't out. Apparently, Nick Sakevich isn't the only uh, major sporting figure in my life out the door today. Aaron Stoller, are you listening? If you are, uh, if you are, let me know. Um, Our baseball team is about to get its coach fired, but this is not a baseball show, so I should drop that. Um, What else you got? Hello? You there? Sounds like, oh, dear. The, uh, something just dropped on the line, it looks like. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, uh, the call-in system just crashed. That was the end of that. I'm sorry. But we do have to get out anyway, because we have Matt George, of the Delaware County Times ready to go to talk about the departure of Nick Sakevich from the Philadelphia Union. This is Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, sitting in for Jason Davis by sheer coincidence on a momentous day for soccer here in Philadelphia, where I am based. Nick Sakevich is gone from the Philadelphia Union, announced just a few minutes ago by the team's chairman and principal owner, um, Jay Sugarman to talk about the news we are joined by a good friend of mine who is one of the only people and if you guys think I'm I'm good at dealing with cantankerous soccer haters ladies and gentlemen let me introduce you to Matt DeGeorge of the Delaware County Times who on a nightly basis at that desk has just the most wonderful colleagues to talk about the sport with Matt don't you
5: well, don't say that. You're just going to invite more soccer haters to to find me to to seek me out. I don't know that that's a reputation I want to I want to perpetuate. But his I, agent, I, I his do wanna agent, stress, go ahead. I, I do want to stress that this is all a coincidence. This is not some plot by Jonathan this week to have <laughs> somehow pushed Jason to a vacation and then have have all these dominoes fall in Philadelphia. This is just. It's just a weird happenstance, uh, or, or at least that's what we think now. I'm sure there'll be an, an investigation somewhere down the line as to this, but it, it is quite the coincidence this week.
0: Uh, just and, and to counter that, anybody, any of the soccer haters to uh, who want to uh, to go after Matt, his publicist is a fellow by the name of Terry Tui, Toohey, T-O-O-H-E-Y. You can find. I don't know. He's not on Twitter, is he? Maybe he is. He is. At this is point. Yes. Not is.
5: not often, but he's there.
0: Right. Um, he's, he's your publicist. He deals with all the soccer people. If you all can go and find him, uh, by all means, Godspeed. Um, and Terry is a good friend of mine. We cover Villanova basketball together. Uh, but he and your editor, Rob Parent, are not the biggest soccer fans in the world, which makes what you do, Matt, for the Delco Times, all the more impressive. So the news from Jay Sugarman, the chairman of the Philadelphia Union, who wished this morning to share some news with us directly. Quote, We are making a change in the front office and parting ways with Nick Sakevich. Matt, you and I have been deceived and crossed and spun by Nick in various ways over the years. And I don't think you will find anybody in the PPL park press box or anywhere else in the stadium, whether impartial about the game or not, who would say that this is anything other than a very good day for the Philadelphia union.
5: I think that's, Generally, the the feeling certainly among the fan base, and uh, there's a lot of people who are walking around today as though some kind of a, a weight has been removed, and um, I think that's true to a certain degree. Obviously, it's you look at Nick's his track record here with the Union and also in New York, and you know we look back. Obviously, Nick had a very large hand in getting this getting this team off the ground getting a stadium funded getting them into mls and that's not to be discounted on a day like today but at the same time we're 6 seasons in uh, to the philadelphia union's existence they have one playoff appearance to their name they have two cup final setbacks at home and it's just not working some part of this is just not working and i think it's it's easy to posit that nick is a large part of that, and that's why the move was made today.
0: Jay Sugarman will meet the press at 2 o'clock this afternoon on a conference call. Um, what do you want to hear from you?
5: I hope it's, well, I, I hope his helicopter gets really good cell service. Otherwise, I, I could <laughs> see that being annoying it, if, there's, if there's helicopter rotors in the background. In, um, in fairness, it wasn't his I, helicopter. I, no, I, I was, believe me, we all got confirmation of that. It was a rental, it was a chartered helicopter. It's not his helicopter. And,
0: and um, he, I'll, I'll look, I'll take it a step further real quickly. I understand, he, he was, I believe that Don Garber and Mark Abbott traveled with him down from New York and back to New York because they're all based up there. Right. They are within their rights to do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: They are within their rights to come down by helicopter. Everybody understands the traffic and the timing and all that stuff. All they had to do was landed in Wilmington at Newcastle Airport or something like that, and take a car service to the stadium, and nobody would have known.
5: I, I mean, I mean, for us as writers, the juxtaposition of an idling helicopter outside of one of the most notorious, thrifty, notoriously thrifty soccer st- soccer organizations in MLS—it's uh, just too good to pass up. I mean, it's one thing if Manchester City's owners are, are flying in by helicopter like that—that that fits the aesthetic when it's the union, you know, I I, I have to expect them cost cutting wise sometimes to take school buses or something. So it, it's just it's it's just so incongruous that it's it's just jarring. Um but you know, but, I mean to, to get to get back to what Sugarman's going to say today, I, I think um one of the important things is going to be looking at the search um at the search for a sporting director. I think that's central to all of this. Uh, we know that Sugarman has put up money in the past. There's no doubt that under Sakevich and under Sugarman, the union have invested in all those things that they trumpet in that press release. They have invested in youth and now in the USL, and they've invested partially into upgrading the training fields for non helipad reasons. But what I think people are going to be looking at. From Sugarman is how he's going to move forward in a personnel setting, and I know you've alluded to this before. Jay Sugarman is not a soccer guy necessarily, but he is an astute businessman. He's not—he's not, I think, the the clueless, hear no evil, see no evil, recluse that some people in the Union fan base maybe want to project him to be. Sometimes, he's a guy that's very good in the business sense of finding people and putting them in the right positions to succeed. And now he has to do that in a soccer sense. And I think that's going to be the crux of what he's going to talk about, how he's going to reorganize the front office, how he's going to reorganize the business side and how he's going to reorganize the soccer side.
0: Sorry, Chris, I was just making a a quick note about a question I want to ask you in a minute. Um, Sorry, Matt, sorry. Chris was a a Freudian slip because the question I was going to ask is, is Chris Albright on the hot seat in particular?
2: You know, that's a
5: very, very good question. Um, And I don't know the answer to that. Because I think as we, as a lot of us were mulling over what these changes were going to be while Nick was still in the picture, you had to kind of think about it in, in logical terms and say, You know, if they're bringing in a sporting director, they needed to bring in a sporting director, whether that's Octavio Zambrano or someone else now. Um, You had to bring in a sporting director who was going to somehow either toe the middle line between all these parties, between Albright and Curtin and Sikiewicz, or who was going to make one move out of the way. And, you know, with the lingering uncertainty around Zambrano, I, I don't know that he came in and said, you know, if I'm here and Nick's not here, I I think it's premature to, you know, those are all things we need to develop, and I think talking to Sugarman today will hopefully shed some light on that. As far as Chris Albright, I I think Albright, you know, he was brought in while Hackworth was still the coach. He was brought in while Rob Vartugin was still technically the assistant technical director or... uh, whatever the, the the title was he was brought into the front office then, and his his title was refined later. I get the sense that Albright is kind of an organization guy, not necessarily not necessarily Nick's guy, so it's possible that he continues, but again, there's going to be so many questions as to whether the new front office that Jay Sugarman or whomever forms for the union the roles are going to be completely different so There's going to be changes one way or another, and whether or not that involves Albright remains to be seen. You
0: know, I said last night, and I want to know what you think about this. You take a team in the fifth largest uh, population center in the country, the fourth largest television market. It has a stadium that, for all my gripes about it, because I don't have a car, is very easy to get to by car. They could certainly do better with the public transit, but if you're driving there, it's a, it's a cinch. They have some amount of practice facility. They obviously, it is not as much as other MLS teams have, but they have an affiliation with, with YSC Sports in Wayne, which is a great facility. They have the high school, the academy, that is starting to produce talent. They've got a player who's on the U.S. Under-17 World Cup team as an example of that. They've got a USL team coming down the pike starting next year. In Bethlehem and the Lehigh Valley, certainly is a strong soccer area. I think this job would be appealing to any executive in American soccer. What about you?
5: I would certainly think so. And I, I think uh, one of the, my initial reactions to the report from, from Dave Martinez about Octavio Zambrano is that he was, in a lot of ways, that kind of person that the union were looking for. Um, A lot of times, a lot of the other candidates that they've kind of looked for for this sporting director position, and obviously separate from the higher-up executive positions or positions that presumably are going to take parts of of Nick's job. But with Zambrano, he seemed like a logical choice in that he has the international footprint but also the understanding of MLS. And you look at some of the other people that, I think it's fair to say, were candidates that Nick championed early in this process. We're talking about Renee Muhlenstein who was offered the job and declined, Uh, Rodolfo Burrell um, with Manchester City, who was offered the job and declined. Those are guys that didn't have that MLS experience. So I think this is an opportunity to shift course a little bit and bring in executives and some of the names, obviously, that you've mentioned, Bill Manning, guys like that, that have that MLS experience, because I think that's vital, and I think a lot of times the union have tried to kind of shoehorn names, and this applies for players or coaching staff, they've tried to bring in players that don't necessarily understand MLS, and it hasn't worked exactly the way they would have planned, and I think that lack of familiarity, that's a a big reason for it, so this is a chance to kind of change that course and and open it up to maybe a more American uh, applicant pool.
0: Well, I think Zambrano would have been a pretty good hire, all things considered. Although he would have come with an amount of baggage that's been reported on about allegations about him in the past, and his own the accusation, in fact, was his own manner of profiting off player transactions in the way that Peter Novak once was accused of doing. He also, of course, Zambrano was very close friends with uh, with Nick Sakevich, and back from their days with the Metro Stars. Matt, I have to let you go because we're up against the clock. We've got Ian Joy of Fox Sports coming on. I wanted to mention the very last thing. I know you cover high school sports uh, in the Philadelphia area very closely. That among the factors of the weather today, all sporting events at the Shipley School are canceled because of the weather. And of course, it's a make great sure. irony because that I will is a make school sure I that Nick knows very well. That is a school that Nick Sakovich knows very well because that is the school. Not, I believe where his kid goes, right?
5: Uh, I'm not fully sure. I know he trains with the union a lot, but I'm not sure where he, uh, where he actually attends. And,
0: and it's where they got the head of the union's academy on the academic side to come from.
5: Anyway, Matt George, go ahead. That is correct. Yeah, and the, on the union academy, you can certainly read more about that. Charlie Baum's piece went into great detail about the work that she's doing now at the at the YSC Academy. So there's a chance to. Uh, to read up more on that Shipley connection to Soccer Morning.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. I, I don't have a car, so right now there is no Shipley connection to Soccer okay. Morning. Um, Matt, thank you. Matt DeGeorge of the Delaware County Times. Follow him on Twitter at SportsDrMD. We'll take a quick break and come back with Ian Joy of Fox Sports to set the stage for the weekend in the Bundesliga. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, sitting in for Jason Davis. You know, I was talking earlier about the games to watch this weekend. I want to run through a couple more, uh, as we are just about ready to bring in Ian Joy from Fox Sports. 11 a.m. on uh, on Sunday, NBCSN and Telemundo, Manchester United and Arsenal, needs no introduction. Obviously a huge game in the Premier League. Uh, and I, look, I'm a little cynical about English soccer, as you know, but that is a game whose magnitude I cannot fight against. 11.30 a.m. Sunday, Borussia Dortmund at Bayern Munich. Awful luck for the Bundesliga, That um, it's at the same time. Not the best luck either for Fox, that they've got NASCAR programming on at that hour, that they're contractually permitted to, uh, contractually required to put on Fox Sports 1. So the Bundesliga goes to Fox Sports 2. 2.30 Sunday, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid on BN Sports in English and Spanish. 2.55 Sunday, Marseille at Paris Saint Germain. It is streamed live on BN Sports' website. The television obviously is booked by the Spanish game. You'll watch it on the BN Sports English channel, taped delayed at 4.30, and then into the Sunday night MLS triple header. Houston at Dallas, 5 o'clock on ESPN 2 and ESPN Deportes. Real Salt Lake at Colorado, 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Deportes. And to close out the weekend, a huge game between the Los Angeles Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders uh, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, 6.30 Pacific on Fox Sports 1, Fox Deportes, and TSN 2. You can read more about all of that on my blog, The Goalkeeper. Go to philly.com slash TGK. My games to watch column is up there. Now, for the man who brought the soccer made in Germany theme to a new generation of American soccer fans, Ian Joy of Fox Sports. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Good morning, John. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's a great to have you. Folks know that I am a huge fan of the Bundesliga. I am also one of the lucky ones who gets Fox Sports 2. Uh, and so I will be able to watch Bayern versus Dortmund on Sunday. And I am so excited. What a great game it's shaping up to be!
4: It really is. It's shaping up to be a terrific match. It's a little disappointing with the, the recent form of Borussia Dortmund, who have drawn the last few matches. Um, but I think it, it goes for a good game. With Bayern Munich in such fine form, eventually they're going to be really tested. And the way Borussia Dortmund are playing their football this year has been terrific to watch. They're scoring a lot of goals, and they're very difficult to beat, yet undefeated in the Bundesliga, even though they have tied a couple of games. I think it's going to be a cracking matchup, and this will be the biggest test so far for the champions.
0: We know that Dortmund has the talent, and guys like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Shinji Kagawa, and Marco Royce, but somehow you know, we, and we know it didn't come together last year. What is the magic elixir that Thomas Tuchel has to have them off to this great start? You know, John, I think
4: Thomas Tuchel comes in with new ideas. You know, under Jurgen Klopp, we've seen a terrific, passionate coach who, on the sidelines, was very emotional and such a great character in the world's game. Everybody knows his name for his passion. And he was obviously very successful with the club. But I think there came a time when change needed to happen at Borussia Dortmund. They had a lot of injuries last year. They were mixing a few decisions with the goalkeeper and some defenders who were out injured and trying to put in youngsters to give them an opportunity. And it didn't quite work out for them. But those youngsters have now gained some experience and they're starting to get players back 100% healthy. So you're starting to see... Borussia Dortmund under Thomas Tuchel, who's come in with these new ideas, he's got a full-fit squad, he's got exciting young talent. This really could be a good four- or five-year generation that we'll see Borussia Dortmund really challenge at the top of the table. Now, so the game of the weekend is going to be a great test for them, because that will really tell us if they are going to be a title contender this year, or if we have to wait and see Bayern Munich win another title this year and Dortmund try to catch up the next couple of seasons. But Watching them play, it's so easy to be on the eye. There are fun teams. To watch. Thomas Tuchel has been an excellent addition to the Bundesliga and for Borussia Dortmund.
0: On the Bayern side of things, everybody knows the big names by now, obviously. Goetze, Mueller, Robin. I mean, you can, I could spend 10 minutes just naming the roster and it would be a lot of famous people. But above all, have we ever, Ian, at least in recent times, seen a scoring streak like what Robert Lewandowski is on right now?
4: I can't remember the last time, to be honest with you. It's so impressive. The one game that he scored all the goals as well, which blew everybody away, was just eye-catching, and everybody wanted to watch it. They wanted to witness it again in the space of 10 minutes. It's frightening, and pretty much it's scary to tell you that that many opportunities were being created by Bayern Munich on the day, that he was just in the right place at the right time. But he's continued that goal scoring for him on. And to score, I mean, what, was it 10 goals in one week? It's just breathtaking. So this man is really right up there at the moment. Is he one of the top three players in the world? He's pretty close now. And I know that a lot of, play- a lot of people here at Fox Sports really believe he's the best number nine, which is a big comment to make. But I think he's getting up there. He's at Bayern Munich and scoring goals and having fun. And this is what Pep Guardiola wants. He wants to see his team create. He wants to see his team score and goals. And he wants people to be watching Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga. And that's what everybody's doing. And one of the main reasons for that is the form of Robert Lewandowski. He's just catching everyone's attention.
0: That's not the only big game of the weekend in the Bundesliga, certainly not at least from the American perspective. And a game that will be on Fox Sports 1 on Saturday that I want to ask you about. Borussia Mönchengladbach against Wolfsburg. Fabian Johnson up against what is quietly, perhaps, they don't get as much recognition as, uh, as Bayern and Dortmund. But you look at Wolfsburg's attack. André Schürrle, Bastos, Max Kroos, Julian Draxler. Fabian Johnson's got a big test this weekend, doesn't he?
4: Yeah, big test. Um, I think they go into the match with confidence with the new coach coming in, Andre Schubert. He took over from Lucien Favre, who made a shock decision to step down at the beginning of the season without winning a match. He got them into the Champions League, but things just were not going the way he wanted them into this campaign. So he wanted the club to, to go in a different direction, and immediately the results started to change. So Borussia Mönchengladbach going to that match with a great deal of confidence, even though they just lost the Champions League match. And midweek, they actually played very well. And the last two matches in the Bundesliga has been outstanding. Uh, Wolfsburg are on a bit of a slump at the moment. They're really struggling to try and pick up the three points in the Bundesliga, but they're still a terrific side to watch. And obviously the changes after Kevin de Bruyne are leaving to go to Manchester City. It takes some time for that midfield to really gel to the offensive line to gel. Perisic obviously went into Milan and Bastos has had his problems as well with the coaching staff. So it's going to come together for Wolfsburg it might be too little too late for them to push for a title challenge this campaign with so many points behind Bayern now but that match up will be a cracking game to watch Um, obviously the the stadium Borussia Park is is a fun stadium to play in Wolfsburg don't have a great record going there but it will be interesting to see if uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach can come out with three points and continue their run in the Bundesliga that's going to be a great match to watch
0: you know, you mentioned Lucien Favre a minute ago, and I want, I, I want to make sure that I i have my memory right because I—I I just it just popped into my mind, this question. Do I remember right, Ian, he resigned and then the club basically said, no, you can't?
4: Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, he handed in his uh, letter of resignation, and the club refused to accept it. They felt that he was the man to lead this club forward. Obviously, the work he did... Last season, getting him into the Champions League was outstanding. Um, he did lose one of his key components there as Mike Kruse went to Wolfsburg. So he's returning now back to Borussia Mönchengladbach this weekend. Um, and that's a difficult player to replace. But I think it's a gentleman's decision at the end of the day that he just didn't feel like he was the man to take them further than he already did last season. And he's seen a, a little bit of a character change in some of his players as well. Maybe a disagreement with some of the players that were coming into the club. And he's not been allowed to spend the money that he would like to spend. Particularly trying to keep Max Cruz, who demanded a high salary. They had to let him go because his salary was so high. And the club really just turned around and said, no, we want to keep you. I think at the end of the day, they came to a gentleman's agreement that this was going to be the best for, for Favre. They respected that and thanked him for all his hard work. But it was certainly very difficult for Bundesliga fans to watch a coach who had so much success leave like that. He was a terrific coach, and he'll be well-missed, that's for sure.
0: You got a game this afternoon on Fox Sports 1, Darmstadt against Mainz. I know that Darmstadt has started to come back to earth a little bit in the last couple of weeks uh, Ian, but for the for the listeners out there who don't know, what a great story they are and what just an incredible start to the season they had.
4: Yeah, it's fantastic, John. And you know, this is our goal here at Fox Sports, to try and create awareness about the Bundesliga. Obviously, it's a new league in the United States. We've had, you know, 20, 30 years of, of history with German soccer coming into this country, probably longer than that, 30, 40 years to be exact. But this is our goal here, is to try and educate new supporters to the Bundesliga, and try and catch their attention with some teams that they don't necessarily know about. And Darmstadt has been one of those teams. Obviously, today's game against Mainz will be a great example of it. Two teams that are fighting at the the lower part of the table, or will end up fighting at the lower part of the table, but have started off terrifically well. Darmstadt's a great new squad. They didn't spend much money at all coming into the Bundesliga, so they've got pretty much the same squad that came from the second Bundesliga and got promoted. They have incredible statistics going into this match as well. Their pass completion is only 50%. So every two passes, at least one of them has been given away. So they're playing long ball soccer. And then they're also scoring great goals because their conversion rate from shots on target to actual goals is incredibly high. It's as high as Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. So they may not be creating the most of their opportunities, But when they get their opportunities, they're putting it away. So people who want to watch the Bundesliga and want to learn something new, these games like you will see tonight with Darmstadt against Mainz, you're going to see an action-packed match with two teams that will fight. Obviously, there's a little derby rule coming into this match. It's only 31 kilometers between the two teams. But these teams want to fight till the very end, 90 minutes, 90 minutes plus, and they want to be in the Bundesliga next year. Mainz have goals of trying to make a European place. So it's going to be a cracking matchup. And, of course, our job is to continue to educate the viewers in the States that the Bundesliga is a great league to watch. And you have to choose your own team as to who you want to support. Maybe it'll be Darmstadt.
0: Well, I'm not going to get you any trouble with your bosses, I hope, in saying this. But I know that Fox Sports 2 doesn't have as much courage as a lot of the fans out there want, certainly as the folks at Fox want, I know that very well. Folks, call your cable operators and tell them that you want them to carry Fox Sports 2, because if you don't, and they don't hear from you, they're not going to know that the demand is there. And then, it, then nothing's going to yeah. change. Yeah,
4: you know, it's, it's disappointing, obviously, when matches get moved down, in particular the biggest match of the season so far with the Dortmund and Bayern Munich um, contractually. Fox has their decisions to make. They make their decisions. It's out with any of the talents, you know, choices or, or any help that we can do to try and change their mind. That would just never happen. It's contractually agreed that, you know, this match would go on in Fox Sports, too. But there's still an opportunity. There's bad weather coming into where the truck racing will be. So there is an opportunity if that gets cancelled <laughs> that we do get bumped back up to Fox I, Sports. I, I don't want to totally get, get, get the hopes up, time. you know. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's disappointing, obviously, but Fox, Fox 2 is a great channel and hopefully people will see that as well and, and the networks around the providers will start to supply it a lot more.
0: As, as I said, it's really it's for the listeners out there. You have to take the initiative and be the kind of activist consumer that American soccer fans have been for a long time. And you have to call your cable provider and let them know. Uh, last question, Ian. I know you got a meeting to run to. Uh, You also do uh, New York City FC games on the S-Network. And uh, New York City FC has a big one tonight at D.C. United. It's at 7 o'clock on Unimas. All of a sudden, Ian, uh, New York City FC is not dead yet. They're not out of the playoff race. They probably have to run the table. But here comes Frank Lampard against so many odds, scoring some big goals. And he has them all of a sudden scaring a lot of other teams in the Eastern Conference.
4: Yeah, terrific, John. The performance uh, against Vancouver was outstanding. It, it really should have finished 1-0 outside of some crazy decisions from the referee, but they deserved the, the win over the 90 Minutes New York, and they played some terrific football, the best I've actually watched them play this season. It might just have come a little too late for the, the club to get into the playoffs, but they're going in the right direction now. Frank Lampard's back 100% healthy. is looking 100% fit. David Vier continues to do what David Villa does best, and that is just work his socks off. He's been outstanding for the team. And then you've got some major league soccer players who are sprinkled around the team that are starting to really perform. We've seen sparkles of it throughout the course of the campaign, but not enough to guarantee a new expansion team a place in the playoffs. It's so much more difficult, as you know, to achieve that place in the playoffs when you're an expansion team. But regardless, there's more and more teams coming into the league it's even more difficult to get into that playoff position. And tonight's game will be a cracking match. Obviously, New York have won their last three. They're scoring goals. They're not conceding too many goals. D.C. United have lost the last two. And D.C. United need to be very careful because New York City can still potentially catch them on points. Um, But it's going to be very close and very difficult for NYCFC to make that playoff position. And Next year will be a big year for them to try and grow, but there's still an opportunity there this season that they can make something happen with a little help from Orlando, with Montreal, D.C. United, Toronto, just ahead of them. They need something very lucky to go down for them to make that playoff place. But it's just a shame, John, because they're starting to play some great football, and tonight will be another opportunity to see them play against the D.C. United side that I really like. I love their coach. They play good soccer as well. So it'll be a cracking game.
0: And I hope that if, if New York City FC is able to end the season with a couple of high notes, you know, I know Jason Christ uh, had a couple of remarks a few weeks ago that were maybe a little too honest uh, for some people's tastes. But I don't think anybody disputes as a tactical mind. He's still got it. and Maybe uh, an upswing to end the season, whether they make the playoffs or not, helps him a little more with their front office going into the offseason and, and gives him a little more security.
4: I think so. You know, the results have been disappointing, but I think at the end of the day, there's been so much issues coming in with New York City, with Frank Frank Lampard's situation staying in Manchester, then bringing in Andrea Pirlo. You know, maybe there was an opportunity for Jason to bring in a couple of other players that he might have wanted ahead of Andrea Pirlo. But maybe Pirlo is forced into his hands. So it's a big club. It's a big job, as as you know, and and everybody who follows Major League Soccer knows. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that job. And the pressure is that you have to succeed. You have to win. But you also have to keep all those players happy. So Jason Kreis is learning a lot. It's a great experience for him. I do believe he'll get an opportunity next year to have success with this team, how much time he will get. Is yet to be seen because obviously success is not guaranteed in Major League Soccer and it's difficult to win games. So if he doesn't get off to a good start next season, I I seriously think he'll be under pressure then. But he's a terrific coach, John. He's a wonderful man and he seems to be enjoying himself at this moment and that's the way to turn the club around. The fortunes have turned around, but at this moment in time, it looks like it's too little too late.
0: Ian Joy, studio host of Fox Sports' Bundesliga coverage and also on occasion... Champions League and Europa League coverage. And also, uh, I would love to have, Ian, your frequent flyer miles account going back and forth to New York and Los Angeles as you do. (laughs) Also, the the color analyst for New York City FC broadcasts on the YES Network. Ian, thank you very much. Have a great weekend.
4: Thank you very much for having me. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks. We'll let Ian Joy go, and I'll say a few words very quickly uh, of my own before we get off the air today. First of all, as I said a few minutes ago, and I'm glad that Ian chimed in on this, he really didn't have to. Um, if you want Fox Sports 2 on your cable system, or if you want NBC Sports, sorry, Universal on your cable system, or if you want In Sports on your cable system, you have to call your cable provider or tweet at your cable provider and tell them. That is how demand is created. In Sports got on Comcast. Because enough people yelled at them that they finally added it. Now they only added it in standard definition and not in HD. But people have to keep yelling at them to add it in HD. You know, it, it's, there is a long tradition in American soccer of activist consumers. And as the sport has grown and people have become more accustomed to where things are and more sort of believing that, that there's baselines that we've reached and we have as a culture... But that things, you know, are this way and have been this way for a while now, so we're good. You know, we don't have to to bang the drum as much. Well, you still do. It's still a competitive sports marketplace within soccer and across all of the American sports and within the television realm with the sports channels, which always carry higher per subscriber fees. So the cable networks don't want to pay for them and pass those costs on to the consumers when they're cutting the cord on and on and on. And we go around in circles about this stuff. You have to reach out to the Comcast and the Verizons and so on to the world and tell them bluntly that you want this. And hopefully if they hear it from enough people, they add it. It's not Fox's fault that they aren't on Fox Sports 2. I have heard that from plenty of people in the industry. Comcast has to make that decision. And if they don't think you all care, they're not going to make the decision. Last uh, small things. We got a couple of questions in on Twitter. Um, A reminder that there's no serious XM show while Jason is on vacation for a couple of days. Vince in Toronto. Oh, hey, Vince. Asked where Nick Zakevich goes next. I don't know. I don't know if he knows at this point. Uh, Somebody asked when American soccer will have promotion and relegation. And to them, I would say, since it's now about 12 o'clock Eastern time, enjoy your lunch. Um, Did JT just kick a plug out of the wall during soccer morning? No, but we did have some technical difficulties. Uh, Anything else? Uh, Doesn't look like it. All right. Last thing I will say, and then I'm done. I tweeted this last night, and I'll say it again. It took the Metro Stars slash the Red Bulls six years after Nick Sakevich left AEG New York to help launch the Philadelphia Union for them to win their first trophy. I look at the infrastructure that the union have in place, the facilities, the fan base, a stadium that I really do believe, and I took some heat from people for this last night, but I'll say it again. I believe that PPL Park on its day, not every day, but on its day, is the loudest stadium in Major League Soccer. You look at what the supporters clubs in Kansas City and Seattle have said when they've come to town for the last two U.S. Open Cup finals where the stadium hasn't been full and they've seen how loud it's gotten. It's a great atmosphere in there. And the day will come, I believe, when they host a World Cup qualifier there for the U.S. men's national team, and then people will really see how loud it can get when it's packed to the rafters. And the entire country will see it once and for all but I really believe that it will. You know, the over-under is here on, on how long a team takes to win a trophy after Nick Sakevich leaves it is six years. That was the bar set by the Metro Stars slash Red Bulls. I don't think it will take the union six years to win their first trophy with the infrastructure that they have in place. And that infrastructure includes Jim Curtin, who I think is a great coach and would be considered as just as great a coach as Jesse Marsh and Carl Robinson if he had the resources that are available to them. So those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening to Soccer Morning yesterday and today. I'll be back with you again on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time to recap the weekend. You've been listening to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com.